Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and happy to have you with us today. Um, we are dedicated to uh, shedding some light on some of the cobwebby corners of jazz recorded history, as you returning visitors know. We're going to be talking today about a record company that was active on the West Coast in Los Angeles from March 1944 until about March of 1946, exactly two years, during which time they recorded a number of sessions that were primarily devoted to swing and um, fairly uh, progressive swing, I guess you'd have to call it. Some bebop musicians were taking part in this as well. The fellow who founded uh, uh, Sunset Records was a man named Eddie Laguna, who I guess was a DJ and a concert promoter out there, and who wanted to have uh, the ability to record not only local jazz musicians, but uh, visiting stars as well. Of course, uh, Los Angeles was uh, a point on the uh, schedule for most of the great big bands uh, who were traveling, even at that time, 44, 5, 6, and uh, their star soloists were all good fodder for recording dates. And as we will hear and see, Eddie Laguna took advantage of uh, the presence of bands like uh, Gene Krupa's and Stan Kenton's and Coleman Hawkins' uh, small group as well to record some of their uh, notable sidemen and primary soloists. So a little word about some of these small recording companies uh, that cropped up around this time, the middle 1940s, uh, there were quite a few of them that did. And one of the big reasons that that happened was uh, the end, uh, disorganized end, I guess I'd have to call it, of the uh, recording ban that had begun in 1942. It was instituted, instigated by the uh, Musicians Union, the AFFM, that was run by a man named James Petrillo. And uh, the higher-ups in the Musicians Union decided that the musicians were not getting their fair share of royalties from recordings, especially when they were being played on the radio. And so it was decided, deemed, what have you, uh, that uh, musicians who were in the union would not be allowed to make commercial recordings from that moment on until they came to a more equitable solution. And that situation lasted a solid year and a half. And this was, of course, during World War II, which was uh, not looked on with favor by the government to a certain degree. I think the um, federal government tried to end the recording ban at one point, and it didn't work. At any rate, by 1945, early on in 1945, and late in 1944 as well, small companies started cropping up because the larger companies were holding out quite consistently in, in, in um, defiance of the union rules. But some of the small companies that were being uh, invented and begun at the time uh, were happy to acquiesce to the union regulations because it meant they could get off the ground and they would, for a time anyway, not have the competition of those larger companies. Companies. So we see the beginnings of companies from 1944 uh, to the end of the decade of, you know, with names like Sunset or Keynote or National or Continental or Wax or Dial or Savoy or any of those companies and that uh, jazz fans uh, have, have held in high regard uh, ever since they started. And these were uh, labels that might have focused on a certain type of jazz. For example, I did a radio program that'll be on my podcast soon about King Jazz, which was a, uh, a label that was developed by Mez Mesro, the clarinet player, and he recorded himself and Sidney Bechet uh, in what was uh, primarily a New Orleans, Dixieland, traditional jazz style, and that was the, the, the mode of that company. And of course, Keynote was more devoted to swing. Uh, Sunset was, as I said, devoted to swing, uh, very progressive swing in 
some cases. There were several uh, NASA and Bebop players like Howard McGee and uh, Lucky Thompson and uh, a couple of others who were uh, participating in these sessions as well. So we're going to hear a selection of recordings uh, done by a number of different groups and different leaders. And the first two things that we're going to hear were uh, led by a great but largely forgotten tenor saxophone player today, a man named Charlie Ventura. And Charlie Ventura was uh, a real powerhouse tenor player. He was primarily a swing player, although his most popular group came in the late 40s and it was called Bop for the People, and he used bop musicians like Conti Condoli and Boots Masilli and Benny Green and people like that. Red Rodney was in some of his groups, and um, he played a very bop-influenced uh, form of swing, but he himself was really a swing player. He had uh, um, been influenced initially by Chew Berry, although you, I think you can hear more Coleman Hawkins by this point, and occasionally he'll even do a little bit of Lester Young as well, but he, he had a very uh, specific sound. He was an excellent technician, even though I think he was in some way largely self-taught. Uh, he did not become a professional musician until he was well into his 20s. He was just playing, I think, in Pittsburgh, where he grew up, or, or someplace in Pennsylvania, and he preferred the uh, consistency of a day job working in a shipyard uh, and playing in the evenings until Gene Krupa made an offer for him to uh, go on the road with him that was a, a good enough offer that he ended up going. And uh, he had to learn how to read music in order to do that because he was not a great reader at the time. Tony Pastor was another band leader he worked for at one point in there too. So by uh, the spring of 1945, uh, we have, uh, it's actually March of 1945, this was the first recording, I believe, for Sunset. We have Charlie Ventura, who had been touring out in that area with uh, the Krupa band, uh, brought into the studio, and he assembled an interesting little group, Arnold Ross on piano. Uh, he and Ross uh, had been also participating in the Jazz at the Philharmonic concerts, which Norman Granz had been putting on at the time. Uh, Nick Fatul was on drums. He was a West Coaster, as uh, was... Uh, Dave Barber on guitar. Dave Barber was married to Peggy Lee at the time, and he was directing her career. He had uh, written some songs for her and was her accompanist, too. Artie Shapiro is on bass. He had uh, had a long career. He had played with Benny Goodman and uh, also um, Artie Shaw back in the 1930s. Uh, the bebop contingent of this band is pretty much uh, centered in the person of Howard McGee, the trumpet player. And Howard McGee was a an East Coast trumpet player. He played in some big bands with Benny Carter and uh, uh, Andy Kirk and so forth. And he uh, was at this point out on the West Coast uh, doing an extended residency with Coleman Hawkins. And they recorded quite a bit for Capitol Records right around the same time. But Ventura captured McGee to do this recording session. And we're going to hear two tunes. One is called the Ventura Jump, which on some releases was called the CV Jump. And then we're going to hear a ballad feature for Charlie Ventura on the standard tune, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. Following that, we're going to do two tunes that were led, uh, titularly led, I guess, by uh, Andre Previn. Now, we know Andre Previn is a classical conductor and pianist. Uh, he started life uh, doing classical music and being a, 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 a prodigy at classical piano, but also playing jazz. And 
he did several recording sessions for Sunset when he was only 16 or 17 years old. And I believe this one came from uh, the time when he was a very aged 17. Uh, this was from November of 1945. And uh, we're going to hear a couple of tunes from that session as well as one uh, from another session that he did uh, uh, earlier when he was, in fact, 16. So this band... Uh, with Andre Previn on piano, features Vito Musso on tenor saxophone. He was uh, playing, I think, with Stan Kenton at the time, as was Eddie Safransky on bass. We have Willie Smith, the great alto sax player, who's going to be starring on quite a few of these tracks we listen to today. He had been uh, the lead alto player with Jimmy Lunsford. He left in the early 1940s and went with uh, Harry James uh, for a while and was playing with Harry James, I believe, his time and also doing some of the JATP concerts. And uh, later on, he went with Duke Ellington for a little while. And on trumpet, we have Buddy Childers, who was a... Um, fine trumpet player. I believe he was with Stan Kenton at the time as well. And we're going to hear two tunes right now. We're going to hear uh, I Never Knew and All the Things You Are. And one of the nice things about Sunset is they would let the musicians play on and on sometimes. Even if they couldn't release it on a 78, they just kept it, uh, kept the tapes. And we have the uh, evidence of a real good jam session on I Never Knew, which goes almost eight minutes long. So we'll be listening to that. So here are our four tunes. Venture a Jump, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You, I Never Knew, and All the Things You Are. Thank you. 
gorgeous arrangement of that tune. All the Things You Are, a new tune at that point, pretty much from 1945, um, or 46 rather. That was an arrangement by the great Jimmy Mundy, saxophone player with Earl Hines, who later went on to much greater acclaim as an arranger for the big bands. He arranged for Benny Goodman and uh, Artie Shaw, Cy Oliver. I think he did some things for... Uh, uh, Jimmy Lunsford at some point. Lots of excellent arrangements by Jimmy Mundy. And that uh, version of All the Things You Are featured, of course, Willie Smith on alto sax. I had said Andre Previn was kind of leading this band. He's going to be leading the next one we hear. That was a Willie Smith organization there. And uh, that particular recording featured Buddy Childers on trumpet, Vito Musso doing a huge tone tenor sax solo on that uh, number. He had... Uh, come up playing with Benny Goodman's band in the middle to late 1930s. He was famous for not being able to read a note at the time, although I think later on he did become a something of a, of a capable reader uh, to get through some of the big band scores. Uh, Andre Previn, of course, on piano, taking some very interesting uh, background figures there. He's more featured on the tune before that. Eddie Safransky on bass and Lee Young on drums. Right before that, we heard a kind of a jam session version of a great old tune called um, I Never Knew by Gus Kahn and Ted Fiorito, and uh, that was by the same group with everyone being featured there. I don't think Lee Young got much to do on drums, but even Eddie Stravansky got a bass solo in there. Uh, Lee Young was, of course, the brother of Lester Young, and he had uh, settled out on the West Coast by the mid-30s, I think, uh, playing with a number of groups out there, and he became a studio musician, which was unusual for an African-American at the time, but he was a very fine drummer and percussionist as well. So we started off that session with a couple of things by the Charlie Ventura group, and uh, that featured Howard McGee on trumpet, doing some wonderful bop solos, even on the ballad feature that uh, came second in our list, Charlie Ventura's uh, feature on I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. And uh, that was a big hit for him at the time. That was one of his big feature numbers, along with Dark Eyes, which he had recorded with the Gene Krupa trio. So Howard McGee, Charlie Ventura, Arnold Ross on piano, Dave Barber on guitar, Artie Shapiro on bass, and Nick Fatul on drums started out with the Charlie Ventura Jump, or the CV Jump, followed by I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. All of these recorded for Sunset in 1945. The Ventura numbers in March and the Willie Smith numbers in November of 1945. So now we're going to go to what is really a, an Andre Previn side. This is uh, something that he had recorded um, in uh, October of 1945 when he was all of 16 years old. Really remarkable that he could do this. He had a, a little group uh, trio that uh, he recorded with. I don't think this was a working trio. He was actually, even at the age of 16, making a living uh, arranging music in the Hollywood studios. Uh, but this little jazz... Um, Junket uh, featured him with Dave Barber on guitar and John Simmons on bass in that kind of classic piano trio instrumentation that had been pioneered by Art Tatum and also uh, Herman Chittison and Nat King Cole and so forth. And uh, Previn recorded a couple of times for Sunset with this instrumentation. We're going to hear a tune called Mulholland Drive, which of course is a street in Los Angeles. This is uh, a tune that's based on I Got Rhythm. It seems to have a little bit to do with the Barney Bagard tune uh, Frolic Sam, which was recorded uh, about 10 years earlier than this, 9 or 10 years earlier than this. 
After that, we're going to hear three tunes in a band led by Willie Smith. This is actually a kind of a complicated discographical issue. These were from November of 1945, and the band was very similar to the one we heard before doing I Never Knew and All the Things You Are, except uh, Andre Previn is not present. Uh, we have Arnold Ross on trumpet for this one. And then we have, instead of uh, Buddy Childers, we have Howard McGee on trumpet. These were recorded probably about a week apart. Uh, it's a little hard to... Uh, disentangle some of these things, but that's uh, that's what happened. And also, I should mention, Lucky Thompson appears on tenor sax in place of Vito Musso. So these three numbers have Howard McGee on trumpet, Willie Smith on alto sax, Lucky Thompson on tenor. Of course, he had played with Count Basie's band and uh, became a resident of uh, the West Coast where he uh, was playing uh, occasionally with visiting bebop dignitaries like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and uh, some other other groups out there uh, of the same ilk. Then we have Arnold Ross back on piano, Eddie Safransky on bass, and Lee Young on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes from that session. We're going to hear uh, a tune called Wind Jammer, a ballad performance uh, by uh, largely by Willie Smith of the Hoagie Carmichael tune Skylark, and I Found a New Baby. Now, I Found a New Baby was recorded twice, once at the earlier session with Previn and Buddy Childers, and then it was remade at this session. Why, I don't know, because it certainly sounds very good uh, in either case, so um, we'll get the benefit of this second version of that. I should mention that the arrangement for I Found a New Baby was by Johnny Thompson. So those are our four tunes for this set, Mulholland Drive, by the Andre Previn Trio, and then Willie Smith and his orchestra, or whatever we would call that, with Windjammer, Skylark, and I Found a New Baby. Thank you. 
and some great playing and great arrangements too. So the first one was a trio version of Mulholland Drive, sort of a takeoff on I Got Rhythm, by the Andre Previn Trio, uh, featuring Dave Barber on guitar, and he gets a relatively rare solo opportunity there. He was a very effective soloist. John Simmons was on bass, but the real star, of course, was Andre Previn, all of 16 years old, uh, playing piano on that tune, and which he also is credited for having written, which would surprise no one at all. So we went from that to three tunes by the Willie Smith Band Orchestra, what have you, uh, from November of 1946, I think, or November of 1945, excuse me. And these featured uh, a sort of a proto-bop lineup here with Howard McGee on trumpet, um, Lucky Thompson doing some wonderful tenor saxophone work. He had replaced Don Bias with the Basie Band, and you can tell why. He uh, had that big sound. He, he was a little bit more of a forward-looking soloist rhythmically than Don Bias was, but wonderful harmonic sense and a gorgeous sound. Uh, and then we had Willie Smith, of course, on alto sax with Arnold Ross on piano, Eddie Safransky on bass, and Lee Young on drums. And we heard Windjammer, which was uh, yet another takeoff, very heavily disguised takeoff on I Got Rhythm. Much more modern sounding tune with a lot of chromatic uh, substitution going on in there. And uh, we can feel in this uh, sunset uh, encounter today uh, some of the bebop elements infiltrating into swing and vice versa. These groups were kind of balanced between the younger players uh, who were edging towards bebop and uh, in the next two or three years would head right over the cliff of bebop and the swing players like Willie Smith for example and uh, Vito Musso who were very much settled in their earlier style. After Windjammer had a beautiful uh, ballad performance of Skylark which featured, uh, primarily featured um, uh, Willie Smith, but not entirely. He uh, handed off to Howard McGee and to uh, Lucky Thompson there, as well as a little bit to uh, um, uh, to uh, Arnold Ross as well. I don't know who did that arrangement, but a very pretty arrangement as well. And then we finished up with a, a nice steamy version of I Found a New Baby. So we're going to do one more set of uh, sunset jazz recordings. I'm calling this the Sunset of Swing for obvious reasons now, I think. We're going to hear two tunes uh, by Lem Davis and his orchestra. Now, Lem Davis was not a terribly well-known uh, musician, although he made a lot of recordings in the late 1930s and into the 40s. A lot of uh, them were with the Eddie Haywood Quintet, and that was a, a really interesting group. It was kind of on the same plane as the John Kirby Sextet, um, playing very arranged uh, sophisticated versions of tunes, but where uh, Kirby sometimes let the sophistication get in the way of the jazz, the Eddie Haywood uh, uh, sextet did not, um, with a front line of Doc Cheatham and uh, Vic Dickinson and Lem Davis. Uh, they couldn't do that. A very, very, very fine band. And this uh, group, the Lem Davis uh, Band, which was recording for Sunset on October 20th of 1945, features a kind of a similar group. It has a, has a similar feel to the Haywood Band. And it has Emmett Berry, the great swing trumpeter, who uh, we've uh, talked about before. We've heard some of his recordings from Keynote. He's here. Vic Dickinson is here as well on trombone with Lem Davis on alto sax. Dodo Marmorosa on piano. A very fine uh, uh, piano player, white piano player, playing with the beboppers and uh, became one of the most significant bebop piano players going forward. John Simmons is on the bass again and Henry Tucker Green on drums. 
Uh, one tune we are not going to hear from this date uh, features a vocal by Ernie Shepard, who was a bass player who had been playing with Duke Ellington. I don't think at that time, but he was a, a West Coast performer as well. So we're going to hear uh, the first tune being a tune called uh, It Was Meant to Be by Lem Davis, after which we're going to hear a really nifty little arrangement of the Benny Carter tune, Blues in My Heart, which is often thought of as a slow, bluesy tune and works very well that way. But this tune, uh, or this arrangement rather, brings out some of the more bouncy qualities of it. And we'll hear very fine solos, especially by Lem Davis, but Vic Dickinson and uh, Emmett Berry get their innings too. Then we're going to go to uh, two tunes to finish up our little series here by uh, a Harry Edison-led uh, group. And uh, this is a, a band that recorded in September of 1945 and features Harry Edison, of course, was even at this time, I think, with uh, the Count Basie band. He's on trumpet. Herbie Hamer, an interesting player on alto and tenor saxophone. He'll switch back and forth. Um, Les Paul on guitar. Uh, this is a relatively rare jazz performance before he went off in his own direction doing the multi-tracking uh, and things like that. Arnold Ross again on piano. You can tell he was a ubiquitous presence at sunset as well as on the West Coast. Red Callender, a uh, fine West Coast African-American bass player. And Shadow Wilson on drums. And we're going to hear two tunes. Uh, a ballad performance of These Foolish Things and then a nice arrangement of an uh, up-tempo version of the Harold Arlen tune, Get Happy. So those are our tunes. It was meant to be. Blues in my heart, these foolish things, and get happy.
started out that set with Lem Davis and his orchestra. It was meant to be a tune by the leader and featuring his alto saxophone playing, which in this case sounds a lot like Pete Brown. We've done some uh, shows on partly and completely on Pete Brown in the past and had that sort of uh, 
barking style, that uh, jump style that uh, Brown had made quite popular in the late 30s, and Louis Jordan as well, and Lemon Davis was sort of heading in that direction too, although his earlier recordings were uh, more in the sort of Johnny Hodges, Benny Carter vein, which is suitable because the next tune, as I mentioned, is a Benny Carter tune, Blues in My Heart, featuring a nifty little arrangement and good playing by Davis, also Emmett Berry, and Vic Dickinson. Then we go to two tunes that I had said were led by Harry Edison, but the fact that there's a bass solo on each one proved me wrong. It is, in fact, uh, a band that was called Red Calendar and his orchestra. Red Calendar, of course, is the bass player. And we heard the ballad, These Foolish Things, and ended up with uh, Get Happy. And that band, very interesting uh, mix of musicians. Harry Edison, of course, was with Basie at the time. Les Paul was just getting into his multi-tracking and some of his... Uh, interesting experiments that uh, launched him into the public consciousness a couple of years later. Red Calendar on bass, Shadow Wilson on drums, Arnold Ross on piano, and Herbie Hamer on alto and tenor. And Herbie Hamer was a player with an interesting career. He had been with a number of big bands, with Benny Goodman, with Charlie Barnett, with, uh, I think he was with Stan Kenton for a while. He had settled out on the West Coast about this time to do studio work, and he was uh, sort of a, a hitman on different recording sessions to come in and play solos. He uh, read well so he could play the parts. He was uh, doing recordings with Frank Sinatra for Columbia in the late 30s, or late 40s, excuse me, and in 1949 he was driving home from a session and he was killed in a car accident, so a uh, tragic end to a very talented player. So on that note, sorry to end on a sad note, but uh, at least we get to enjoy some of Herbie Hamer's playing, and we get to enjoy quite a lot of the music that had been recorded uh, for Eddie Laguna's Sunset recording label, Sunset Swing, and uh, really excellent sessions. He clearly knew what musicians to hire. The musicians clearly liked working for him because there's a, a degree of comfort on each of these recordings. Everybody was uh, there to play and obviously enjoying themselves, and so the music was of a very high quality. So... Hope you've enjoyed this. This is uh, our tribute to a record label, a little bit different than our usual program, although we've done that uh, a couple of times in the past with Keynote and with King Jazz. Probably have a few coming up as well. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Hope you have enjoyed our series of podcasts and continue to listen. And uh, if you're interested in sponsoring us or contributing to the cause, you have a sponsorship button somewhere on your dashboard, whether you're listening on Anchor.fm or Spotify or one of the other nice platforms that uh, keeps us going, please consider sponsoring us. Also, contact me through my social media presence. My band name is Wolverine Jazz Band. Uh, we have pages on Instagram and Facebook, as well as a website, wolverinejazzman.com. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.